Dear Jesus, thanks for loving us and thanks for family, for the family of God. And uh, thanks that, that just for all of, of the, the love and just all of the memories that you use, church, to create and all the ways you use your family in our lives to draw us closer to you and make us the people that you want us to be. Pray you open our eyes to your word and the story and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you think back on your life, you could probably think of a number of times where somebody's opened up and kind of shared with you their story, kind of shared with you uh, things from their past. And what usually happens when you listen to someone's story is you end up hearing suffering and, and heartbreak that you weren't aware of before. And, uh, and it's sobering when that happens, but what happens, it, it, it usually changes the way you look at that person. The, the heartbreak in their story often seems to kind of draw us in. We, we start to say that th this is someone who, who gets it. This is someone maybe who, who could understand some of the, the broken parts of my own story. This is someone that maybe relates to me in a way that, that I wasn't aware of before. Well, this morning we're going to hear the story of a person from the Bible that I think often goes overlooked. And as we listen to her story and the heartbreak and the suffering in it, I'm hoping that we will realize we're not alone, that the feelings that we've had have been felt before. And as we watch how she navigates her way through her pain, I think maybe we'll realize that if there's hope for her in her situation, that and maybe there's hope for us in some of the things that we're facing. So this morning I want us to consider the story of a young woman named Leah. Now as a woman in that culture, uh, the quality of her life would have been determined by who she ended up marrying. So growing up, Leah would have dreamed about marrying the, a guy that would love her, a guy that would, would provide for her the family and, and, and that she would be able to have a family. And, and, and those would have been the, just the things that she longed for and dreamed. That's, that's all she really wanted in life. Unfortunately, Leah had a problem, though. And Leah's problem was that people found her to be very unattractive. Now, we know beauty is comparative, right? So let's say Leah would have had been an only child, or let's say Leah would have had sisters that looked just like her. Then it probably wouldn't have been such an important factor in her life. But the thing with Leah is she had one sister, and her sister was absolutely stunning. So when the author of Genesis wants to give you a biographical detail, when he thinks, how can I just in one or two sentences help you understand this woman's life, this is what he decides to do. He decides to do what everyone else had done in her life, and he decides to compare her to her sister and say, verse 29, Genesis 29, verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Think about it. The author believes the best way for you to understand Leah's life is to do what everyone else had been doing all of her life. Compare her to her sister and let you know that she did not measure up. That compared to her sister, she was notably 
unattractive. That was the world that Leah grew up in, always compared to her sister, always coming up short. All of her life, people would take her in at a glance and then turn to her sister and give her all of the attention. Some of you may know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to be compared to others and feel like you didn't live up. Some of you know what it's like to, to hear that refrain, why can't you be more like? But then one day, a man comes from 500 miles away, and this man said he has come to marry one of the girls in her family. That's just her and her sister. There's only two. And, and in a culture where the eldest was supposed to get married first, Leah thinks, maybe this is my chance. Maybe this is my chance. The, somebody that, that is, is, is down to two, and I'm the eldest. Maybe. But it doesn't take long to realize that Jacob is just like everyone else in her life, and Jacob has eyes only for her sister. Turns out Jacob made a deal with her dad to work for seven years to marry her sister, and in that moment, the clock starts ticking for Leah, and she waits, and the years count down, and she is hoping, please, someone, 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 take an interest in me. Someone, just give me a chance. Somebody, like, get to know me. Look beneath the surface. There's something to love here if you just give me a chance. But seven years go by, and no one does. And so Leah prepares to watch her sister get married before her, and she wonders if she'll ever get married, if there'll ever be someone that could look past her appearance and just love her. That's all she wanted. She wanted a chance. As she got ready on the day of her sister's wedding, all of a sudden, her dad came in to talk to her. And, and her dad told her he had a plan, and he said, actually, I've got this plan. I'm going to take you, and without anyone knowing, I'm going to insert you in the place of your sister, and I'm going to give you to Jacob, and I'm not instead of your sister. Leah never thought her dad really cared about her very much, but, but all of a sudden he had a plan for her, and she heard that, and she thought, this is my chance, my one chance, my chance to get out from the shadow of my sister, my chance to have a husband, my chance to, to get some time where maybe he could get to know me and then eventually fall in love with me. She picked out her most attractive dress. She got the thickest veil. All of her life, she longed to be Rachel. All of her life, she wondered, what must it feel like to be the center of attention? What's it like to have everyone think you're beautiful? What's it like to, to be loved? She'd always wondered, and finally... For one night, she got to experience it. That night, she was the center of it all. That night, Jacob couldn't take his eyes off of her. Later in the tent, when he drew her to himself, for the first time, she felt wanted. She felt attractive. She felt like beautiful. She felt loved. For one night, she got to taste what it felt like to be Rachel. Long after Jacob had fallen asleep, she stayed awake in the tent, reliving the night. She knew what she did was wrong. She knew it. But this was her chance. 
This was her chance at love. This was her one chance at life. And deep down inside, she thought, after Jacob gets over being angry, after she finally, without her sister in the picture anymore, eventually, eventually, maybe, he would look beneath the surface. Eventually, maybe, he might love her. That's what she was hoping for. That's what she was longing for. Her thoughts were interrupted as Jacob rolled over beside her. The sun had come up hours earlier, and so she found herself holding her breath, wondering what would happen next. He opened his eyes, and he saw her, and she'd never forget the look on his face when she saw her, when he saw her. Horror, disappointment, disgust. Turned to confusion as he tried to figure out what, what, what on earth happened. What, what is going on? Turned to rage as he realized that he'd been deceived. The next thing he knows, he's up and out of the tent and she can hear him yelling at her father. And she finds herself snapped back to reality. She's still Leah. Hours later, he comes back to the tent and she waits to hear what he's going to say. At some point, Jacob breaks the silence. He says, your dad says I have to spend the rest of the week with you. And then a little smile comes over his face and he says, but, but after that, he says, I get to marry your sister. All of a sudden, it's her chance to be horrified. I mean, as hard as her life had been, as miserable as it had been, as much as she had been through, never in her worst nightmares had this happened. All of her life, her one hope was to escape the shadow of her sister by finding a man that would marry her and love her. That's all she ever wanted in life. And now her worst nightmare, one week after she married her husband, he married her sister too. Now there's no hope. Now there's no escape. Forever condemned to live in the shadow of her sister. The man that she loved, the man that she married, the man that she gave herself to, now married her sister also. Look at verse 30. It's meant to just reveal how broken this situation is. It says, so Jacob went into Rachel also. Guys, that's not a word you're supposed to use with marriage also. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's broken. The text goes on to tell us that all of her worst nightmares came true as Jacob chose to love Rachel more than he ever loved her. Tell me that's not a heartbreaking story. Just, just, can you imagine being Leah? And, and, and thinking about it this way as well, just think how alone she feels. Not only is she married to a man that doesn't love her, she's married to a man that's married to her sister, so she never escapes his shadow. But also in the same moment, she realizes how her dad feels about her. 
that her dad has just used her as a pawn. Don't you think her dad knew that her one goal in life was to get out from the shadow of her sister? Don't you know he knew that? And yet he didn't care. And he was willing to condemn her to being married to the same man as her sister, to ruin her life for seven years of labor. Why? Like, why did God let this happen? Why did God make her ugly? Why couldn't there have been one person, even if her dad would have just loved her, that would have been sweet, but why couldn't there be one person, one person in all the world who loved her? That's all she wanted. That's all she asked for. Why would God let her feel like Rachel for one night only to rip the carpet out from under her? Why would he put her in this marriage condemned to the shadow of her sister for the rest of her life? Why? Every day she had to watch the man she loved give his love to her sister. And she knew there's no escape, no plan B. She's stuck. But the Bible tells us as alone as Leah may have felt and as horrible as her life had been, she was not as alone as she thought. You see, there was one person who saw her pain, one person who knew what she was going through, one person who deeply cared about her suffering. We read about him in verse 31. The Bible says, When the Lord saw that Rachel was hated, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. For the first time, Leah has something Rachel didn't. Now remember, Having a son in this family was a massive deal. It took Sarah 70 years to have a son. It took Rebecca 20 years to have a son. And here Leah, the overlooked one, the unloved one, the rejected and unattractive one, the one that everyone had always discounted, turns out to be able to have a son right away. And in the next section of Scripture, which is going to be our text for the day, we see that Leah names her children, and the names that she gives them give us a window into her soul. Verse 32, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Finally, Leah feels seen. The Lord has seen me. He's looked upon my affliction. But we find that for Leah, God seeing her wasn't enough. You see, the reason that she's so thankful that God sees her is because she thinks, if God sees me, then he'll fix my problem. Notice the place that God plays in Leah's life. God is important, but he's important because she thinks that he will give her what she really wants. And do you notice what she really wants in this text? What she really wants is the love of her husband. For Leah, God was a means to an end. God was necessary to help her get the love of her husband. So notice, humble enough to know she can't do something on her own, but still valuing other things more than she values God. She needs God to give her what she really wants. I think Leah represents the way many people see God. They see God as a means to getting what they really love. 
They believe that God is in control. They see God as vital to their life, massively important to them. But that's because they think they need God to get the life that they really long for. Many people think that God is the way that we'll have a better marriage or God will help them raise their children better or help them have a better family or God will help them get the job that they long for or think how many people come to God in the midst of trials and suffering and tragedy thinking God will rescue them out of this suffering. Notice for Leah, she's got a problem and she's got a solution. And the reason God is so important is because she needs God to come and solve her problem with her solution. Her problem, her husband doesn't love her. She needs God to come and help her husband love her. But God doesn't give her the solution that she's looking for. And her husband's affections for her don't change. Of course, the story's not over. She ends up getting pregnant again. And now we see in verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son. And this is what she said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. He has given me this son also. Simeon, it sounds like the Hebrew word for heard. And she names him Simeon because she thinks God has heard that I'm still hated. And he's come to solve my problem and help my husband love me. Once again, Leah finds herself utterly disappointed as her husband's affections don't change. But Leah refuses to give up. And she finds herself pregnant a third time. Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son. And she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. At this point, Leah has done more for the Abrahamic promise than all of the other patriarchs I mean, the same amount as all of them combined and more than any of them have done, right? Sarah, one child. Rebecca, two childs. Leah, in a matter of years, has given Jacob three sons. She felt like there is just no way he can't notice me now. There's no way he can't love me now. I've done more than his mom or his grandma was able to do for the promise. He has to notice me. That has to mean something to him. He has to love me now. Notice what she says. She, she has the child. She names him Levi, which means attached. And she says, this time. It's like this third time is the charm. This third time is the answer. This time, my husband will attach himself to me. This time, I will get what I've always longed for. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm blown away with Leah's like optimism and hope, right? Like, like she just keeps getting disappointed and somehow keeps coming back with hope. And so the third time, she still believes this time will be different. But it's not. Jacob's affections for her do not change. And finally, when she realizes this, something inside of her dies. Sometimes, something woke her up to the reality. If three sons isn't going to change my husband's affections, then I, I'm not sure anything ever will. But what we find is that, it, that in the ashes of her broken dreams, something else began to grow. And all of a sudden, she found herself pregnant again. And she began to realize something. She began to realize that even though her husband doesn't see her, 
And then even though her husband doesn't listen to her, and though, even though her husband refuses to attach himself to her, that, that there has been one who has been with her all along. Suddenly it dawns on her that she's been so busy chasing after the affections of her husband that she's failed to see the one who has always been watching over her. She's failed to listen to the one who has heard her every cry. She's been so busy pursuing her husband, grasping after every crumb that fell from his table, just trying so desperately to, to get his affection that she's failed to notice the one who has been pursuing her the whole time. And in a moment of clarity, Leah's perspective on life began to change. All of a sudden, now when she calls her son Reuben, which means to look, she couldn't stop thinking about the God who saw her. I mean, the God who really, really saw her. When Simeon is crying and she hears his cry and she runs over to see if she's okay, she can't help but think about the God who has heard her every time she's cried to him and stood next to her to comfort her. When little Levi attaches himself to her breast, she, she can't help but think that that her God has been pursuing her this whole time and that he's attached himself to her and that he's never left her or forsake her. And so when she finally gives birth to her fourth son, there's only one word she can think of. And that's the word praise. She named her fourth son praise and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Notice there's nothing in the text about her husband. Nothing in the text about her son. This time is different. You see, this time she's found the one that she's always been looking for. The overlooked one has been seen. The discounted one has been heard. The unattractive one has been pursued. The unlovable one has been loved. And all she can do is praise. It's it. Praise the one who had set his affections upon her, the one that she had always been looking for, the one that loved her. She says, I will name him praise. This time is different. This time I will praise the Lord. He was the one that she had always been looking for. And he'd been there the whole time, the lover of her soul, the one who saw her in her afflictions, who heard her in her cries, who pursued her... <laughs> with his steadfast and unfailing love. And for the first time, she realized her God loved her and his love was enough. That's why she doesn't mention her husband. That's why she doesn't mention her son. She had enough with the love of her God. Valley Center, how many of you are looking for love in the temporary things of this world, hoping maybe the right spouse or the right children or the right job or the right house will fill the void in your life and make you happy. And many of us are, are hoping that God will come and give us that thing that we are really looking for. But in his love, our God doesn't do that. In fact, in his love, he pursues us in our disappointments. He pursues us in our disappointments just like he did to Leah. 
hoping that one day we too will open our eyes and realize the one we need has been with us the whole time, seeing us, hearing us, attaching himself to us, loving us with a steadfast and unfailing love. And if you're wondering if, if what I'm saying could really be true, if you're struggling to believe that maybe there is a God like that out there who sees you, who loves you, who pursues you, who hears you. Well, let me tell you just a little bit more of this story. You see, the Hebrew word for praise is Judah. Judah. Judah is Leah's fourth child. And, and what we find as we read in the rest of Scripture is that all the promises of the Messiah... We're, we're, we're going to come through Judah. Judah becomes the ancestor of King David, and then King David becomes the, the ancestor of, of the Messiah. That when God looked down and decided which one of these two women would he give his only son to, he said it's going to be Leah, and it's going to be through the son that she gave up on and let go of control and trusted in me alone. And you don't know this, this son of Judah, the Messiah, he's actually the Rachel of heaven. You see, Jesus was the most beautiful being in all of heaven. The angels would, would cover their eyes, not because he was so attractive they didn't want to see him, but because he was so beautiful that even perfect beings struggled to behold his perfection. Jesus was the Rachel of heaven. But in Isaiah 53, we find that the Rachel of heaven actually became Leah, took on flesh and became Leah. Isn't it crazy that when the Rachel of heaven took on flesh, he didn't become the Rachel of earth, but the Leah of earth. Listen to what Isaiah says about him. He had no form of majesty, chapter 53, verse 2 and 3, that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we achieved him not Jesus, the Rachel of heaven became Leah. He was not content. Here's what we learn about our God. He wasn't content to just see that Leah was hated. He wasn't content to just hear that she was hated. He chose to attach himself to flesh so that he could experience exactly what it was like to be, to be Leah, so that he could be overlooked rejected, despised. He attached himself to human flesh. He, he became the ultimate Levi, attaching himself to human flesh so that he could become our sympathetic high priest, knowing intimately and personally weakness, knowing what it looks like to be overlooked, despised, compared and and turned away from. But why? Why would the Rachel of heaven become Leah 
Chapter Isaiah tells us in verse 4 and 5. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In verse 5 he writes, but we pier- we, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Valley Center, the Son of God knows what it's like to be overlooked. He was rejected. He's been the object of people's disappointment, marred beyond human recognition, considered ugly by the very people he created. And he did it for us. He did it so that he might attach himself to our griefs and to our sorrows, pierced through for all the times that we would seek love in other places, crushed for all the times that we would run to other things for our happiness. The punishment that we deserve for all of our idolatry fell upon him. And the reason Jesus did it wasn't just so that he could be with us in our suffering. I love it. It's not just that in all of the broken places in your story, you're not alone. The Bible says that's true and that's amazing, but there's more. He did it so that he could rescue us out of the broken places in our lives. Jesus just doesn't come to attach himself to our broken state. He comes to rescue us from it. He comes to take Leah's. It's not just that he's saying, I'm with you in your Leah-ness. That's not it. He comes and he says, I am with you in your Leah-ness and I will not leave you like Leah. I will transform you into Rachel. That's what he promises. That's what he comes to do. Listen to Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless in his sight, holy and without blemish. Valley Center, Jesus loves you. He died to take all of your sin and your failure, all of your stains and your flaws, and to wash them away so that when, it, when the time came for you to come to your wedding day and to stand before your holy and perfect Savior, you don't have to worry about what his face is going to be like when he sees you because he intends to present you to himself holy and in splendor. Oftentimes, I think when we picture God and how he looks at us, right? We picture like God doing what Jacob should have done with Leah, right? Like, like basically, what, what should Jacob have done with Leah? He should have, he should have just worked hard and overlooked and, and tried to like bite his lip and push through and loved her, right? And that's what we think. We think like Jacob was just a man, so he couldn't do it. What makes God so amazing is that he's able to like push through and love somebody as, as unattractive and, 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 and terrible as me. And, uh, but, you know, he's loving me, but he's not attracted to me. Like, he's loving me, but like he's, he's you know, he's, he's biting his lip to do it. He's, he's, he's using all the reserves of God himself to, uh, to accomplish this mighty feat. And uh, praise God, he's God and he can do it. So I accept his love, but I feel a little bit sorry for him. That's how we oftentimes think, I think. That's how we sometimes picture it. And here's the thing. It's true that while we were yet sinners, God loved us. And it's true that he loved us despite all of our ugliness and our failures. That's true. 
And it's true that in and of ourselves, there's nothing attractive about us to draw him to us. That's true. But it is also true that he does not leave us ugly. Paul tells us he shed his precious blood so that he could wash all of our ugliness away and clothe us in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So now when our Savior looks at his people, he does not see us clothed in the filthy rags of our own righteousness nor stained with the disgusting stains of all of our failures, but he sees us clothed in the absolute splendor of his perfection. We are holy and blameless in his sight. He sees us like Jacob saw Rachel. He smiles and he laughs and he rejoices to do us good. Our Savior doesn't just love us. He likes loving us. He enjoys loving us. Loving us is not hard for him anymore. The hard is over. The hard is finished. The hard demonstrated the tremendous depths of his love when he went to the cross in our place, on our behalf. But now we've been washed, cleansed, clothed, and now when he sees us, he smiles and he views us in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blameless in his sight, Aaliyah transformed into Rachel. Guys, here's the thing. You just will never find this love anywhere else. You won't. You cannot pretend to be as good as your Savior offers to make you. Do, you. do you get that? In other words, you can't fool someone into thinking you are better than he offers to make you. And when we get love from others through pretending and performing, we, we know that it's only because they don't know us. And here, you are being offered one that sees you, knows you, has experienced what your life is like, is very aware of your darkest rooms and deepest secrets, and he loves you. And because of his son, he has clothed you in his perfect righteousness, so he doesn't just love you as a project, he loves you as a Rachel, transformed by his love into that which is beautiful in his sight. You can't get this anywhere else, and you can't earn this from your God, but you can receive it. It is available to you, and my prayer is that you will let go like Leah and just say, I can't do anything to get it, but I will take it, and that you would just respond by saying, this time I'm done looking, I'm done looking, I'm done trying to find what I long for in other places. I'm just done. This time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. That's it. This time, it's just Him. I quit. I tried my best and I failed, but, but what I'm being offered is better than what, what I got if I would have succeeded. So will you just receive it from your Savior and then will you just praise Him? Amen? Oh, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just pray that you would take our eyes off of all the distractions, all the things that we think we need to be happy. And God, that you would overwhelm us with your love. 
Lord, that we would receive your love this morning and declare with Leah, it's enough. It's enough. Even if the brokenness doesn't get fixed, even if the problems that we walked in here today don't get solved the way that we want them to be solved, even if you don't give us that which we are asking you for, what you've given us is enough. You've loved us. You've forgiven us. You've clothed us in the righteousness of your only Son, you didn't spare your son, but freely offered him for us all. God, that, that, that's enough. We don't need any more. You're enough. We want to praise you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.